Introducing Spectacle, the ultimate eyewear experience. We offer a carefully curated collection of logo-free frames, so the focus is on you. We're located at 505 Tremont Street in Boston's historic South End neighborhood. Keep in mind that we only look expensive. Hope to see you soon, and enjoy the day. Baby Loves Tacos proudly supports the Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico podcast. Since 2016, we've been serving soulful whole Mexican style food out of a tiny storefront, 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh. Um, we believe in supporting the arts, community-based initiatives, and podcasts like Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico because uh, they add a richness and vibrancy to our lives, uh, help to connect people, build community, and uh, demonstrate that following your, your dreams and your passions and holding on to relationships and spreading the love and support that we hear so much about on the podcast uh, is, is really the only way to combat um, the ever-changing world where big businesses and corporations are uh, squeezing out the small guy. So if you haven't already subscribed, if you don't support via Patreon um, or any of the other platforms, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's a real privilege to listen to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico, and it's a privilege to, to hear the stories about um, you know, Steve's experiences with many bands, uh, promoting, managing, and the really awesome stories from his guests. Something I look forward to every week, sometimes twice a week. And, um, you know, my life would be very different if I didn't have Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico to look forward to. All right, take care. I want to tell you about Joe's albums in their two locations. The original shop at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location at 5 Market Street in the college hipster town of Northampton on Western Massachusetts. These are two amazing stores to go buy vinyl, both new and used, and a lot of other cool stuff too. It's hard to walk in either locale without walking out empty-handed due to their amazing collection of records and other cool goodies like t-shirts, mugs, posters, etc. And if you can't find what you're looking for in the retail shops, check out joesalbums.com. They got everything there, man. Everything. Well, maybe not everything, but almost everything. Joe's albums. We love them and you will too. Check out Joe's stores and tell them Twisted Rico sent you. Steve, where are you? Steve. Steve's not here. <laughs> Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Hello, friends. I'm off this week. I'm enjoying some time on the West Coast, but have no fear. We have a great show for you today. This is episode 116, which originally aired on October 18th, 2021, featuring one of our favorite bands, Muck and the Myers. It's always a fun time with Muck and Company. So let's get to it in its entirety. Here I am with Muck and the Myers. All hail rock and roll.
Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your happy host, Steve Ricardo, coming to you from Voice Motel in some, some, Somerville, Massachusetts. This week, we're going to play you an interview by one of the coolest garage rock bands around, Muck and the Myers. But first... This show is sponsored by Notch Brewing, serving European-influenced beer in their beer hall and beer garden, not only on the harbor in Salem, Massachusetts, but also in their brand-new spot at 525 Western Avenue in Brighton, Massachusetts, just minutes from downtown Boston. Speaking of the Brighton location, we have some of the upcoming shows that we're going to tell you about right now. This coming Thursday, October 21st, Carol Bedbug and Katie Mallison with DJ Lava Girl. On October 28th, The Big Easy, Pink Navel, and Squitch with DJ Denim Dill. On 11 4, translated into November 4th, an evening with Jill McCracken. November 11th, Kittner, Ezra Cohen, and the Big City Band and the Furniture. And on November 18th, Dire Phaser, Andre Oben, and Ex Hyena. Okay, I've been a huge fan of garage rock genre long before I managed a bunch of garage rock bands like the Charms, the Love Me Nots, and the Go Go Girls. Garage rock goes way back. And far as I'm concerned, I was into a lot of the 60s bands too, like the Sonics from Tacoma, Washington, Sir Douglas Quintet from Austin, Texas, the Trogs, Tommy James and the Shondells, even the more modern garage revival bands like the Liars, the Real Kids, Question Mark and the Mysterians, the Gories, and then the band that Mick Collins from the Gories formed called the Dirt Bombs which to me is like the consummate garage rock band. The whole concept of garage rock is a pretty loose description. There's a fine line between garage and punk and even places where they intertwine. For example, The Clash even referred to themselves as a garage rock band. To me, it's just loud, noisy guitars with strong, consistent beats that are not quite pop. And if you have a Farfisa organ, that definitely helps but you usually need two or three Farfisa organs because two of them are usually broke. I'm sorry, but I've experienced firsthand how difficult it is to keep the Farfisa organ going. So whatever you consider garage rock, I love it. And I could listen to those Pebbles compilations for hours. I remember one time the Charms got a review in a magazine, and it might have seemed like it might have been a questionable review to some, but I thought it was funny. The reviewer said, the Charms have figured out a way to play 96 tiers 10 different ways and succeeded in making a garage rock record. It's kind of true. A lot of those songs kind of sound alike with most garage bands, but... I love the genre, and I always will love the genre. You don't have to be completely original to be entertaining. This all brings us to Muck and the Myers, which to many fall into the garage rock category, but also borrow heavily from what I call the English Mercy beat sound. You know, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, and this band that you might remember called the Beatles. They borrow heavily from that, and I love that about them. They wear uniforms. Forms. They got a sound that you know when they come on the radio or the computer or wherever you're listening to them or you put their record on, you know it's Muck and the Myers. So we know they're one of the coolest bands around. We know they're a very nicely dressed band that I love, and we're going to talk to them. But first, 
Let's listen to a track. This one's called This Time I Know I'm Right, Muck and the Myers. I am so happy that I ran into you guys, two of you, <laughs> Muck and Jess. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep the, the, the stage names going. That I ran into you guys at Notch Brewery because I wanted you guys to come on my show. And look how fast we made it happen. Now you're here. Yes. And you got JQ and you got Pedro. Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> who I have history with, Jim good Shea. history. Yes, we both uh, worked for the same major label. <laughs> yeah, yeah, long time ago. <laughs> so um, I don't even know where to start. I mean, look, why don't we just go all the way right back to the very beginning? I mean, I know that, you know, you guys were in other bands, and um, the Nines were on one of my compilations. The Ape Hangers that Pedro played in were on, and somehow all you guys came together around 2001? Uh, 2000, 2001. So tell the story, how that happened, Muck. Well, it's an interesting story. Uh, so actually tonight I'm having dinner with an old friend, uh, Larry. Larry Retard was his, uh, his name. <laughs> and uh, he has a label up in Canada called Amp Records. He's in town from uh, the Toronto area today. And he's the guy who put out the first Muck and the Myers record. And it was just a, a collection of demos that I had done at home. All mucked up. All mucked best up. Best of Muck and the, the Myers. Best of, so I, I, I made these demos of a, fictic, a fictitious band named Muck and the Myers, and Larry put the record out and then said, hey, you guys got to come tour, but I didn't have a band. <laughs> so um, when I put the record together, I kind of in the back of my mind, I was thought, oh, it'll be fun to play some shows once I get this project out. And um, I listed the band mem members on the sleeve. Um, and I purposely named the drummer Jesse Best because it could be a guy or a girl because I'm sitting right next to one of the best female drummers in the yes. world over here. And I named the guitar player Pete Meyer because 
I kind of always wanted to play with Pete in a band. <laughs> so we we all stepped into the the names on on the fictitious band, and it was supposed to be a joke. But here we are, twenty years later. So I guess the joke's on uh, us. <laughs> it worked. The joke worked. That came out in Europe too. Your first record on Soundflat Records in Germany. I mean, right. did you have international interest like right off the bat? That did it. Honestly, getting on Soundflat Records, you know, I have to thank Larry at Amp for, you know, shopping us to Soundflat, who did the vinyl, and it really opened the doors for us in Europe and got us, um, you know, that was probably 2001, 2002, and then we were touring pretty much every year since 2004 now. Wow. Um, now, now, Pete Pedro said... AKA Pete yep. said that he was originally in the band, but I didn't know that. So what what happened? Because the Ape Hangers were like broken up around two thousand or something. Yeah. So so we uh, the Ape Hangers and the Nines played a lot of shows yeah. together, and we hung out together, and you know had a great camaraderie. Uh, but you know when bands sp- split up, you tend to kind of drift away from that environment and and those people you know and so at at one point evan had brought me to his apartment and he showed me his computer and he said hey check this out and he started playing me these tracks and he's like i did this all here and it was it was great songs that's the first fucking thing i remember is that wow it's a great i think it was like uh, i want to say it was oh man it was twist or something like that but i was like wow it sounds really great and he showed me kind of how he did it and then i think we had one last show together in worcester and you sat down at the table and you said hey come here and you handed me a cd it was very like deep throat like you know sliding across (laughs) the bar table here you go and i'm like what's this and he goes this is that record check it out and he goes i'd like you to play if if you're interested in this i'd like you to do it and yeah i threw it in the in the in the cd player when i got home and i was like this is really great so that was kind of it and then we started started playing and started getting it together it was great well I remember it just very slightly differently, which was I, I prior to this uh, meeting where I slid the CD over, I remember I emailed uh, Pedro. And, uh, you know, I was, I, he's a rock god to me. So I was, there's no way he's going to want to play with me. Us. But I emailed him and explained, hey, I'd really love to you to, you know, to play this record release show that I'm doing. And his response was, I'd be glad all over. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was, so you know, the 60s. It was our yeah, early 60s. Oh, uh, Dave Clark 5 of you. Yeah. Right, right, right. I think I still have that email. Oh, that's Printed Print funny. it out and frame it. That's and, uh, awesome. Put it on our mantle. Well, it gets even funnier, if you don't mind me uh, diving don't. into this a little bit. So we played around for, a, I would say, a year or so, uh, and it was going great. Uh, but but it was very casual. Um I don't know if the nines had completely just like were done done at this time because it was very sporadic and casual. So I had another group going and that was sort of starting to get some traction, if you will. Um, so the, I made a decision like, which one do you want to do? And as I remember, no shit, it was like, hey, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go do this other thing. I can't commit this much time to this right now. And so I don't know where you guys are at. But, you know, if you get shit cooking and you want to, it was, again, it was kind of like 
it wasn't like breaking up Muck and the Myers after 20 years. It was like <laughs> after four shows and, and a couple of months or whatever. So I all of a sudden, I remember going through the paper and I see Muck and the Myers is playing somewhere. And I'm like, hey, what the fuck? Why, like, why didn't they call me up? Because I really, but you know, totally understand. They were probably like, hey, fuck him. Let's get someone else. In fact, I think Brian was at that show and slipped right into the spot. And that was that. But the funniest of all of this is go back now nine or 10 years from now uh, at a Cheap Trick concert. Uh, I'm walking through the crowd and who do I see but the lovely Jesse Best standing next to Brian. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? Hugs, kisses. We're all talking what's new. How you been? Deepadapadoo. And I said, and, and we're kind of out in the lobby and it was a little quiet. And I said to Linda, I said, hey, I got to ask you questions. been bugging the shit out of me my whole uh, forever. She's like, what? I said, how come you guys never gave me a call? And she's like, you quit the band. And I'm like, what? <laughs> she goes, yeah, dude, you don't remember? You took us outside. You're like, you quit the band. I'm like, oh, I guess I kind of don't remember that. Like, it totally was not, I didn't remember it as, as as effective as it was. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh, what a douchebag. I didn't realize I did that. I'm like, well, listen, if you ever want to, you know, hang, let's, let's hang. And ironically, uh, we ended up at a show, uh, it was the last show I had played with the Port Charles Quintet. Dennis oh, yeah. Yep. And Greg. Cam and, Cam. and them. Yeah. And uh, Dennis was moving to Pittsburgh, and we were uh, playing with uh, uh, the real kids at TT's. And uh, I, I, we did the show, and it was great. And I bumped into, again, Linda and Evan outside, uh, uh, Muck and Jesse. You can edit that, right? <laughs> right now, everyone's right. completely confused. Right. There's and, like eight uh, people in this. <laughs> there is eight people here. Anyway, I knew this was going to happen. Right. So we had a, a short conversation, just, hey, how's it going? Catching up again. And it was one of those, you know, hey, if you ever need anything, you need a couch moved, a bathroom painted, give me a call. <laughs> and like three weeks later, I got an email from uh, Jesse saying, uh, hey, this is our situation. Uh, we got a lot of great shit happening, and uh, let's get together and hook up if you ever would be interested in doing this stuff. And I was like, you know, the first thing I did was ask my wife, uh, you know, hey, this is going to take up a lot of time, and it's going to be bigger than me doing shit down in the basement. Are you cool with that? And uh, 28 years of marriage today would say, yes, she sure is. Uh, so... I, I joined up, as they say. I joined up. Wow. He joined up, and, joined and up. the first thing we said to him was, can you go to Spain for 10 days in yeah. three weeks? Uh, no shit. <laughs> and, do like, you, and do you have a passport? He's like, he didn't have a passport. I did not. <laughs> yeah, we are going to expedite the passport. Oh, my God. It was so funny. <laughs> yeah, he, gave me a tr he gave me a CD of 30 songs. He's like, learn these, and we'll put together a set. So I'm like, okay. I think we rehearsed once or twice or something, and then I got a call, and it was like, Hey, uh, can you go to Spain in three weeks? And I'm like, whoa. Fuck. Yeah, I've always admired the fact that Muck and the Mars is an international band. I'm not joking when I say that. I got to throw a little sidebar in here real quick Please? and tell you that at least three or four times I hung out with Dennis McCarthy in Pittsburgh because I was living there for five years. And every time there was a record show, yeah. Dennis would be there with right. a fucking shitload of vinyl. Right. And he's seriously one of my favorite drummers ever i'm yeah. talking all the way mine, back to mine the prime too. movers you yeah, know but too. in the ape hangers you know i mean that's when i really got to see him a lot yeah and uh i just had to throw that out there 
Because I know you're probably in touch with Dennis and Bob still, too. Yeah, know? yeah. In fact, I made a mention to, to Muck earlier this morning that I had a, had an itch to call Denny last night, but I'd probably be still on the phone with him. We <laughs> literally, I'm not kidding you, dude. We have 11-hour conversations. It's like, I don't even know what the fuck we're talking about. That. It's retarded. If he's drinking the whole time, it could oh. be longer than 11 hours, you know? Dude, I literally have <laughs> fallen asleep. I've woken up to my cell phone going off because I fell asleep on my home phone. It's like, <laughs> and I'm like, Dan, he's like, yeah, so anyways, we were at the fucking bowling alley and that motherfucker, I'm like, continues the story like it, like it never stopped. <laughs> too much man well i'm not going to cover try to cover every single uh year because <laughs> there's been a lot of stuff but i'm going to jump ahead a little bit to around 2004 because a lot of really interesting things happened for muck and the myers i know i don't really like to talk about the guy who's the so-called uh guru of garage rock and mr know-it-all but you know what i'm talking about everyone does but you guys got involved in that and i was managing the charms at the time and they were very involved in it and you guys won the battle of the bands and so the charms and the muck and the myers got to play together like three shows i remember and i want to talk about some of those because they all have one thing in common kim fowley <laughs> and i know that kim ended up you know being your uh producer on at least one record did he do one or more than one he did an album and a single album and a single but why don't you talk a little bit about that time because uh that was a really good time for you guys you guys had already started to make headway but then people really found out about the band well 2004 was really the pinnacle of the garage rock revolution anyway you had bands like the strokes and you know i can't think of the other band the hives moody suzuki like all that stuff was becoming like you know airplay all the time you know uh on on radio uh, and we ended up, you know, winning this battle of the bands right. and being on MTV. And I remember running into you at Irving Plaza for the finals, uh, yeah, which yeah. is when we won. And we got stuck in traffic. There was some horrible accident on 95. And we ended up being so late to that show that they were almost, they almost scrubbed us. <laughs> and uh, it was like, no, Muck and the Myers are here, Muck and the Myers are here. And what had happened was the MTV crew had already interviewed all the bands and packed all their stuff up. When we won at the end of the night, <laughs> uh, they were they were really mad because they had to unpack all the stuff and 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 shoot our video. So you see these interviews with all the if you ever see the show, um, all the other bands look great and they're all you know you know lit nice and they look. We're all sweaty and disgusting, and <laughs> just it was it was uh, quite a night. But yeah, we ended up you know winning the contest, and then um, uh, Kim Fowley was the MC at the yeah. contest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we had met him that night. He had those, uh, he had all these fake stitches all over his face that day. Do you remember that? I, I thought those were real. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was from the fight he had with Sky Saxon. <laughs> Whoa, that's legendary. <laughs> but uh, that yeah. whole night was fantastic at Irving Plaza. I'll never forget that. The Charms got to be one of the special guest bands that night. It was packed, too. The place was like. It was a total, and, and Kim was introducing all the bands. I remember uh, Joe w didn't have his guitar plugged in from the Charms, and he went, C-H, and he introduced the band, and they started playing, and Joe hadn't even had his, there was some weird things going on that night. But then after that, the, um, the Underground Garage Festival, we all hung out. 
Unfortunately, you weren't there, Pete. I'm sorry. But uh, we all hung out that day. There's a really good photo that I'll use to promote the show of the muck and the Myers and the charms, and I'm in the photo, too. <laughs> but there was something really wacky that happened to you guys that day that you got to tell our audience about. All the bands had their own trailers, uh, and wasn't there one band that didn't have a trailer? What? Ha- tell that story, because it's fantastic. So we were the contest winners, and when you're the contest winner and you get this spot on the the... the the prize was you get to play this this festival with the so-called professional bands. And, Stooges, uh, <laughs> New York Dolls, yes. Strokes. It was a Bo big Diddley, you know. Yeah, it so, was great. Yeah, we got to meet half our heroes that day. But um, we were on fairly early. We were on right after the Swing and Neckbreakers. And um, so after we play, we have the whole day off to just meet our idols and watch the show and partake in all the free food and all the... Yeah, the trailers the, were stocked with Everything booze, was stocked. Food. And, you know... All of a sudden, I get a uh, one of the staff members comes up to me and, and says, "Hey, listen, uh, we have a problem. There's a band that doesn't have a trailer. Uh, we ran out of trailers. Would you mind sharing your trailer with this other band?" And I'm thinking, like, well, how often do I get a trailer? What am I? <laughs> no, this is outrageous. I can't have a, another band in my trailer. But he says, "Sure, bring him in." So we left the trailer. We went out and watched the shows. I come back to the trail a little while later, and there was a big, you know, there had been a sign in the in the window that said Muck and the Myers. It was still there, but they put the second band's name right next to ours, who was also in the trailer. It was the Pete Best Band. So I'm like, no way. This is unbelievable. So I opened the, the trailer door, and there he is, Pete Best in my trailer. So, so we're, we're, uh, we're hanging out with Pete Best, and I grab, you know, Brian, the, the, uh, the guitar player at the time, who was a Beatles fanatic and i tell him hey pete best is not trail he's like shut up i'm like no i bring him in and he loses his mind he's like oh my god it's pete best oh my god and it's pete best worst nightmare the guy just flew in from liverpool and he's got this maniac and me too because i was you know probably just as bad just asking a million questions you know like this that what was it like you know playing in hamburg and going on and talking about his solo records that he wants to forget about but like we're singing the songs to him i walked all around you know it's like it's scary that you know did you get your name jesse best from pete best yes oh my god (laughs) i didn't i just realized that what so you were a real pete best uh fan Uh, i think evan named me (laughs) that was from the sleeve of all mucked up but yeah the idea was we i as i said i i wanted to be an ambiguous name that could have been a woman drummer to invite uh jesse here into the band but i needed a last time it's like Jesse Best, why not? You didn't think a star or Starkey? You went with Best instead. <laughs> <laughs> that might have worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, poor Pete Best, and then uh, he ended up. He, he had flown in from uh, from Liverpool just for this gig, and they had this rotating stage. It was <laughs> it was the stage from Woodstock, evidently, <laughs> that broke at Woodstock. Anyway, <laughs> what was supposed to happen is while one band's playing. You know, think of it as it's a round stage split in half. Well, one band's facing the audience on the back behind them. They're setting up the next band where they're spinning around. And when this thing broke, the whole the whole festival went off kilter in terms of schedule. They had roadies running out, moving gear around. And uh, because of that, the schedule just kept getting worse and worse. So they have to cut bands time. So we're in the um, we're we're in this trailer with Pete Best. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. 
uh, hey, are you from the Pete Best band? I go, no, he is. And I'm pointing to Pete Best. <laughs> and it's like, uh, we got to cut your set uh, from a half hour to 20 minutes. It's like, oh, okay. So, in a half hour later, hey, uh, Pete Best, uh, anybody here from the Pete Best band? I go, yeah, that's Pete Best. Uh, we got to cut your set to 15 minutes. And it was like, Hey, Pete Fest, <laughs> uh, we got to cut your set to 10 minutes. And then it was like, you know, by now it's like 5 o'clock. It's like, hey, uh, Pete Fest, two songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I experienced that whole nightmare myself because the Charms were supposed to play four songs and they went on 22nd. Don't ask me how I remember that. I, I do. They went on 22nd and they only could get to play two songs. It happened to all the bands in the middle except... The Dolls and the Stooges and the Strokes and I can't remember who some of the other bands at the end of the There were some great bands there that day. As much as I don't care for the guy that put on the thing, it was a really fun festival. I mean, I, all day long. I remember Mike Watt. I see Mike Watt because I'd met him years ago when he was in the Minutemen in L.A., you know, and because he put the Descendants, he, he recorded the Descendants and we released it on Enigma and I got to know him. I see Mike Watt walking around with his bass and amp and I'm, hey, Mike, and I went over and talked to him. He goes, do you know where the Stooges trailer is? I can't find it. I helped him find the trailer. There was some great things going. That had to be one of the highlights for you guys, too, being at that Oh, just meeting Festival. Nancy Sinatra. Nancy you know, Sinatra. Yeah. Everybody was there. And, and then, you know, forget about our, our, our stars, but all of our friends who are in garage rock bands, you know, the Woggles, we're hanging out with them all day. And, you know, uh, I don't know. I can't think. I have to look at the poster. But... I know the Liars played, the Gorgo Girls, the Pretty Things. Flash Tones. I mean, there was 40-something yeah. bands. I mean, it's impossible. I mean, if we remembered all of them, it would be... Incredible, but it was really a fun day. I mean, there was a pending hurricane too, right? And I think that's why they kept cutting the sets. And then when the stage broke, it was like complete mayhem. Well, you know, we had to play early, so you know, we didn't play to a full capacity, but we had a good crowd. But we got to play for twenty five minutes, a half hour. Yeah, a so good that was crowd. Like... You probably had like <laughs> at least thousands there. I mean, yeah. when the charms went on, there were like ten thousand people there. You know, we talk about that. I think it, it ended up being like fifteen thousand people or something like that pretty good yeah not a bad turnout well i have a lot of footage from that and i put it on youtube and i got i got slapped they're like take that down it's like <laughs> yeah well i guess christopher columbus the director he did a bunch of big movies he was going to make a movie out of it but the movie never <laughs> the movie never came out i don't know what happened there's only one person that really knows so it wasn't it was a few years after that. i'm gonna skip you know there was beginners muck there was one, two, three, four. And then Hypnotic is when you guys decided to go to L.A. and record with Kim Fowley. Well, how did that all happen? So we met Kim at Irving Plaza, and then our paths just kept crossing. So we... Uh I, we were at a, in Holland, Holland. At, a, at a music festival. Yes, uh, Rotterdam. Yes, Rotterdam. And he was the MC in Rotterdam. So we we, we saw we saw him there, and yep. we... And, uh, well, I th I think we, we, there was one other time. We kept, the short is we kept running into Kim Fowley, and then he was going to be the MC in Rotterdam. And I said, well, look, you're going to be in Rotterdam. We're going to be playing this thing. And then we were going to England after that. So let's do a r record in, 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 in England because he had some studio in Scotland that he, he worked at at the time. So he goes, oh, well, you know, we'll all go to Scotland. And we'll do this 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 record. It's like sounds great. I get a call from um, about a week before we're going to fly out from Scotland, 
And it's the guy who owns the studio in Scotland. He goes, oh, I couldn't understand a word he was saying. It was the thickest. Those guy. Scottish accents. You know, but, but, whatever. He goes, but basically he said that the ceiling had collapsed in the studio because it was a rainstorm and the studio was gone. <laughs> so, so the sessions are off. But then phase came. He's like, oh, well, you know what? We'll do pre-production in Rotterdam. And, um, and then you'll come to California and, and you'll stay at my house and you'll do this record. So we get to Rotterdam and he goes, okay, let's do the, um, let's do the pre-production right now. Now we're not supposed to curse, but I'm supposed to quote Kim Fowley. I'm not sure how to do that. Oh, it's going to be interesting. What do you mean? We (laughs) could bleep this out. But basically he goes, no, you can curse. He he goes, Hey drummer, give me a beat. So do the beat. And this is Kim Fowley. This is what he goes. You ready? I want a shit. I want to fuck. I want a shit. Shit. He goes, that's how you do it. That's how we're going to do this. It's going to be farm animals on the roof of the studio shitting rock. That's what we're going to make when you get out there. And these, these guys look at me and go, and go, uh, this guy's crazy. We're going to go to his house. We're going to sleep at this guy's house. And, and I said, I, I go, look, what's the worst thing going to happen? The worst thing that happens is we'll go out there and it sucks and we come back and we re-record it. <laughs> well, well, if you've, I've been on the four or five hour phone calls with Kim Folly. Have you guys ever done a marathon phone call with oh, him? Oh, yeah. Or, he's, rest in peace, Kim. He's no longer with us. But he could keep you on the phone for a long time. And he helped... The char- he was supposed to record the charms in Detroit. Something happened. He didn't end up doing it. But he said, I'll still help arrange the record. We'll do it over the phone. So I had to spend hours on the phone with him, and he would tell me what to do. And you know what? He had brilliant ideas. Yeah. The guy was like one of the best arrangers, I mean, ever. I mean, he just knew how to put songs together. It was just... I remember one time I had that four-hour call, and he wanted to talk to Lev from the Charms on the phone. And I warned her. I said, "You could be on the phone for a while." She said he he kept her on the phone for six hours. <laughs> he broke the record that I had, but you guys probably had to go through that as well. We did, but you know, just to, just to give Kim some credit, um, because you're right, he was a genius, and he was a real producer. People said, "Did he do anything?" He did, and, and he totally did. Well, just for start. I would send them uh, uh, songs. I would, and he'd go, "I need stupid songs, stupid, stupid, stupid." And he's the one who actually kind of ordered us to write the song "Hypnotic," which was the title song of the record, because uh, he wanted stupid, fun songs. But um, I had sent him a CD of the demos. These are the songs that we want to record. And when we got to his house out in Redlands, California. There's my package unopened on his. <laughs> you never even listen to this thing. Giant pile of unopened <laughs> so, mail on his yeah, table. Yes. Yeah, bills. I don't know. The lights probably weren't even on. But uh, so we we get to the studio. I was like, Kim, you didn't even listen to the record. He goes. He reaches behind, grabs an acoustic guitar, throws it in my lap, and says, "Now play me your twelve best songs." And I was like, "Wow, he's absolutely right." And they weren't the ones on the you know on the disc that I had sent him. Um, but, uh, then his next thing is, okay, so we, we picked the songs and now he goes, okay, play me the end of the song into that song. No, no, no. Play to this. He was putting it in order. So he had the whole thing in order. And then he goes, we're going to record the songs in order one at a time. So instead of doing, usually your band records basic tracks, you go in and you, the whole band gets together in a room and you 
yeah. play the backing tracks for every song, and then you go in and you start layering the tracks. You had to complete each song in order, <laughs> which was great for for a singer because you get this n- tremendous break where you just sing a song and now you're working. Horrible for the drummer who's just getting warmed up and now has to... <laughs> oh, watch that process. That's yeah, the, they'll you know, fall asleep in the, in the corner. Yeah. But um, uh, then when we're finished recording the, the record in order, now we're going to do the liner notes. So he's like, <laughs> the, the whole thing is he comes from the 50s, prepackaged, everything is, you know. It's funny because, you know, I worked for a major label for a long time, and Pete knows this because he was on AM Records, the label that I worked for. And you meet people with big egos all the time. I don't think I ever met anyone with a bigger ego than Cam's. I mean, he knew how great he was. Oh, my God. That guy, if you just followed that guy around, you were just seeing him interact with regular humans. It was like watching an alien <laughs> land on Earth. And just, it's like the man who fell to Earth, but like a kind of a weird comedy. It's just like he would just interact with people in the strangest ways, like, like South by Southwest. Like, so, oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So, South by Southwest, he, he was on the, the, the press tour junket for the Runaways movie. And he invited us to be his backing band, which is, I don't know what that is. But it basically meant that we stood behind him and sang harmony together, like, it's whatever, like just this 50s acapella kind of thing. Well, he did the the, the press junket for for this. But anyway, we're walking around South by Southwest, and he wants to meet Andrew Lou Goldham, because they were both DJs at the time on, on Sirius. And oh, a, a legend too, right? Oh, and yeah, so like, well, well, I wouldn't mind meeting him, yeah, kind of cool, yeah. So, he, he knows that he's in the green room somewhere, but he doesn't know where the green room is in South by Southwest. So, he goes up to this, uh, this poor staffer and he and he, he goes, I'm blind and crippled because he had a cane, <laughs> I'm blind and crippled, and I need to find Angela Goldham. Do you know what, do you know where the green room is? And this, this girl is probably just 18 years old, poor, like South by Southwest. <laughs> Uh, uh, intern and, and she goes excuse me sir what room are you looking for and Kim looks at her and goes your bedroom <laughs> oh, boy. oh man alright we're gonna go from one end of the spectrum to the other here cause you also were it's funny you guys worked with two guys that I really I know there's a lot of bad things that came out about Kim Folly and who am I to you know talk about any of that you know? well i'll tell you what kim would say because he told us this he said i am a i am a very bad person who does good things <laughs> i actually it's funny i actually asked him uh that like some point because we were staying at his house and uh this is before those allegations came out which i mean you know i, I, I tend to believe allegations like that but uh who knows uh He's dead. Uh, but uh, I, uh, we, he would stay over at his house, and he would just tell us these insane stories, and he would just stay up all night, and uh, his house was also just a hideous pile. <laughs> so so disgusting. But he would just like stay up late, and at some point, I had him alone for a bit. We were talking about something. I don't remember. He's like Bob Dylan or something. And I was just like, so, you know, he had that band. I was like, I'm going to try to get him to confess to like messing around with like the runaways. I was like, you know, did you... Uh, did you, you know, it must have been awesome, you know, having those teen girls under your control or something like that. I was trying to get him to confess to it. And you're just like, that was a time of my life. I was trying to be the most normal. I had, I was, I was most successful. I was ever, I was so busy. I was trying to be respectable and trying to get married. I didn't, I was like, I didn't, I didn't touch any of those girls. And I was like, all right. Wow. I mean, you know, whatever, that's what he said to me. Well, you I heard can't, it first. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yes. Yeah. Wow. You're the first person I've heard GQ. say that. Well, Breaking Joan news. Jett also denied that any any of this stuff happened that 
Well, you know, we don't want to get into that too yeah, much, yeah. you know. Rest in peace, Because we're all, you know, we're, we're, we're in favor of the Me Too movement, I know. Yes, I, indeed. I, and we don't want to go too far. But what I was going to go, I was going to Jim Diamond. <laughs> because <laughs> you guys work with Jim Diamond, and even though they come from different worlds, Kim Folly was the one that used to talk to me about Jim Diamond all the time. And it was... Before he did the white stripes, you know, he liked Jim Diamond because Jim knew how to create this sound. And I got to go to Ghetto and you guys recorded at Ghetto. The Ghetto's Jim's old studio in Detroit. Bands I worked with that I mentioned before the interview, Love Me Nots, Gorgo Girls, and the Charms, all recorded there. So I got to go to that studio. What was your experience like working with Jim Dunn? I know years later he came here, and we'll get into that, but what about the first time when you went to Detroit and worked with him? Oh, my God. So he used to, his, his, uh, it was a Ghetto Recorders? Yeah, Ghetto Recorders. Uh, it was in like an old chicken factory in Detroit, and I remember we pulled up in front of the place, and... I was immediately like, we're in a zombie movie because you look, there's no one around. It's just Detroit, just empty. Downtown one, Detroit. There's one guy and he's like three blocks away and he's doing like the zombie walk. And I was just like, oh my God, no, we got to get back in the car. I've seen this movie. <laughs> you don't want to walk around that neighborhood at night. That well, was, nowadays you can, but yeah, back then, yeah. So what, what, what did you, when you ghettos was amazing, wasn't it? Well, it was just a, a it looked like a, a, a yard sale of broken disheveled equipment that probably should have been in the garbage but you plug that stuff in and there's just some magic in that room and it, it you know it's the first time i'd ever done a record where you don't have to bring in these separational barriers you're just all playing in the room together and that's he that was his gift was capturing the energy of a live band and it remains his gift today i think so he could play anything too man he was just a Great. He's a great producer in that he has a good ear for harmony. His his great uh, you know ideas on how to get tones using you know giving Pedro a, a crappy fuzz box to you know. That. Oh my word! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He showed up with with a with a bag and just pulled these very colorful devices out. And I know I know enough shit about vintage gear and stuff, but I didn't even know what these things were. And he'd plug them all in like a like a mad scientist for real. And you know, when you record, like like Muck said, you put your gear all over the place. Your your speaker could be in one room, your amps in another, whatever. And uh, <clears throat> we had it set up, so we had a small, it was like a 12-watt amp someone built for Q Division. Really amazing amplifier. And it would go out into a Marshall cabinet, so you could fuck with anything right in the studio and just plug it in. And he literally, it reminded me of like an old switchboard operator. He's just... <laughs> And he'd plug in, and he'd go, okay, play. And I go, and he would go, and he'd go, no, hold on. And he'd switch them all around and hit a bunch of knobs and, all right, go play. And I go, and there it would be. <laughs> you know, I was wondering about this because you you later went and recorded, you recorded right down the road here in Somerville, yeah, Q yeah. Division. How was he out of his own studio? Was he the same way or what? Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he absolutely was. And he also, uh, one of the great things about him is he has such an encyclopedic knowledge of this kind of music that you can be like i want it to sound like the guitar from like the bridge in like a you know a beatles song or something even more obs something obscure and it'll be like oh yeah and just like click click snap pop and just like here you go and it's like how did you know it's perfect it's yeah, i have this great photo of him that i took he's at the board turning knobs and playing the farfisa because at the time the charms 
were having a problem with their five visa player. So he's like, I, I can do that. I can play some of these parts. And he was playing the parts and engineering at the same time. And I'm like, this guy's fucking unbelievable. I mean, I have the highest regard of respect well, for that guy. I think he's he's used to working in such squalor that when we took him to Q Division, it was like, whoa. I think he was <laughs> excited. Like, you know, wow, real studio. It was like the Enterprise. <laughs> did he whoa. engineer everything himself there or did he use a house engineer too? Yeah, engineer, but he was hands-on. He sat at the board. He, you know, he, he, he wasn't George Martin. He was, you know, he was the whole deal. He was, you know, turning the knobs and doing everything. What made you, uh, you know, I, I know why you went to Kim. What made you track down Jim? I mean, just was it because you heard other records that he did or? He kind of tracked us down. I mean, we, we met him for the first time at South by Southwest and he said, hey, you know, you should use me as your producer. <laughs> really? And Wow. Uh, but we were That's aware of him. We were aware of him and uh, it seemed like a good fit. And uh, Absolutely was. You did like three records with him? Yeah. Yeah, three records with him. Yeah. You kept going back. You might go back again. He's out in France or something now, isn't he? Yeah, so that's why we brought him in from France to Q Division because it was a lot more economical than the four of us flying to France. Mm. Although it would have made a nice vacation, though. Oh, true, <laughs> yeah. true. Could have been like Exile on Main Street. We really missed out. <laughs> Next time. From what I understand is he became so popular in Europe that he was getting more business there. <laughs> I mean, all these European bands and everything wanted him wanted him to produce them because he has the... Well, the white stripe sound. He even he lost the lawsuit, but he cr- helped them create that sound. Can you imagine him and Jack White together? I mean, wow. Yeah. I mean, so and you know, Pete Pete brought it up the Q Division thing, and we talked about that. Greetings from Muckingham Palace. That's the new That's one. That's the record I'm holding in my hand. It's fantastic. Um, how did you guys come about when you made this record? of going back into the old catalog of the Ape Hangers and decide to record I'm Your Man. I think uh, I think that was us saying we have to play that song. And we thought that he we thought that Paige would be like, ah, oh, that old thing? I have to do that again? But Yeah, I think that's exactly how it was. I was like, hey, um, you know, do you want to write a song and pl- is there anything you want to do? Because when I you know, when I got back into the fold, it was all, you know, all stuff that was already existed, you know. So I learned all that stuff and we put together a set and we were playing it for a while. And then, yeah, it came up like they were like, hey, you know, we'd love to do that song, but you're probably sick of doing it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, a chance for me to get on a microphone and <laughs> sing? And I, I, oh, no, I'm all about that. So, so yeah, that's how that came, came out. Came out great. I'm really happy with it. Really, You know, it's really one of those f- kind of funky things where uh, I've written a million songs, you yes. know, for sure. And But I'm your man just, I, I don't know, it just seems to kind of float to the top like a, like a well-digested meal, you know? <laughs> it's a garage rock classic. I guess, man. It is. Really it's a garage rock it. classic. Pete said that he wrote a bunch of songs, and he's, it's just funny because I remember Empire Records, you know? You oh, guys right. had the best song on the whole soundtrack. You know what? That was a big record for us. Tell you, yeah, out. right? And what blows my mind is that it's been re-released on vinyl and different forms, right? And whittled down from 
the original soundtrack version of what 24 songs and then they'll do a release of like 16 songs and ours is on there and then they'll do another release five years later and it's now 13 songs and they still put that fucking song yeah. on there right and I'm like how is this happening because we don't have any active action with you know pushing it or whatever and then you know uh, what's really cool is to hear my kid who's I have two kids uh 25 and 21 and whoa <laughs> oh yeah yeah and that's a whole other story for another time for sure but long story short is I have a my 25 year old has friends that have moved out to LA and they actually work in like in living in Silver Lake and working at Millie's and uh -huh. shit and one of his buddies called up and said, hey, it's the funniest thing happened the other day. Is this kid came in, you know, working and put on uh, I Don't Want to Live Today. And she's like, oh, I fucking love this song. And she's like, and dance to it. And this kid, Jake, goes, that's my best friend's dad. And she's like, what are you fucking <laughs> talking about? And my kid's been in, in Armenia, and the same thing's happened. He's, like, talked to people, and they're like, because it's that age bracket, I guess, that that, that mo movie, you know, seemed to be attracted uh, to or by or whatever you want to say. Yeah. And then they were, I don't know if you knew, pre-COVID, they were on the brink of production for that movie to be a Broadway musical. No way. Yeah. And of More course, money I, for you, Well, Pete. I was hoping, I'm thinking, in the back <laughs> of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, man, it'd be really cool if someone either covered that or if it was in the, if it was in the musical, I literally would shit my pants. Again. You guys, you guys don't mind that we're a panger. Hey, you can edit all this out, bit here because right? this this <laughs> band is a really good story. Because correct me if I'm wrong here, because I had st just started working at A and M when someone in the promo department actually found the a pangers and got them their deal. And if I'm if I'm cor correct me if I'm wrong, sure. wasn't that record like a three thousand dollar record? So yeah, what what it was is like we literally played like. The worst show we had ever played. Shit broke, but the guy from A and M was there. Jeff and, Suey. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Suey. I couldn't remember his name. Yep. But it just came. Yeah, away. Jeff and Mike Whitaker. Oh yes, yeah, face rest band. in peace. Right. right. Yeah. And uh, but Jeff, uh, he got the band. You know, he understood that we were just four cats from the East Coast who we grew up on punk rock music. We didn't book ourselves or bill ourselves as a punk rock band. That was just our literal attitude. It kind of is still today. People have to tell me to shut up because I'll, you know, we we were very aggressive. Not in a violent way, but just energy, a lot of energy I in the band. band. Loved it. Yeah. Weren't, there, weren't there only three cats in the band, though? You said four cats. No, there were only uh, no, there were only three cats. Just, yeah, if I said four, <laughs> I was like, it's what? I'm, uh, I'm Who stuck is the fourth member? I don't remember. Three there cats being a and a member. bunch of kittens. I'm stuck in I'm stuck in muck mode. <laughs> well, I I think having all you guys together, you know, I think was when I first heard that Pete joined the band, I was like, wow, that is really something right there. So this record came out uh, right before the pandemic, or it came out December of 2020. Oh, geez. So it was great timing, is what we're saying. And you guys were at Rumbar Records, or did Dirty Water put this out? Dirty Water. Both. Dirty Water. How'd you get on that label? They're an English label. That's a good story. So we were playing at a, a show in Las Vegas called the uh, Vegas Rock Around. And uh, it was a garage rock version of kind of Viva Las Vegas, if you're familiar with the Rockabilly mm -hmm. Festival. They did a garage rock version one year. And uh, I was playing roulette at uh the gold coast <laughs> casino <laughs> and there's this guy next to me and uh he's playing roulette too and 
I'm, I'm totally killing him. I mean, it's like my numbers keep coming up, and this guy's numbers just never come up. We start talking, and it turns out that he's uh, his name is Paul Manchester, and uh, he was starting a record label. He lived in London, from Boston originally, lived in London for 20 years, and decided to start a record label called Dirty Water Records. And we ended up being their second single after The Liars. Um, wow. And... That's the story of us in Dirty Water, and we've stayed with the label this whole time. Yeah, the darts that are uh, former members of the Love Me Nots, I remember Nicole asking me if I knew about Dirty Water, and I'm like, aren't Muck and the Myers on that label? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess they're good if Muck and the Myers are there. Why not? And they ended up doing a deal with well, uh, Dirty Water Records. Yeah, so I got an email from from Paul a few months after uh, after the uh, the rock around, and uh he said, hey, uh, my name's Paul. I don't know if you remember me, um, but... You beat me at roulette? Yeah, I, I, that's what I wrote. I said, yes, I do remember, and yeah, I kicked your ass at roulette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better, You guys have been on a bunch of labels. You know, we got to talk about Rumbar because, you know, Lou was on my show, and he's one of the coolest guys around. So you guys must love working with Lou. Oh, he's the best. I mean, mm-hmm. aside from being a friend for many years prior to uh, Rumbar... Uh, he's just got the magic touch, you know, he just, he knows everybody and it's just a real sincere, he just does it because he loves music. Yeah, he's and a genuine guy. He's really genuine. Good guy. Genuine he's, good he's guy. not watching the numbers, uh, you know, he can, but uh, he's, he's doing it because he loves it and loves music. And, um, so actually on this latest Dirty Water Records release, he's really went out of his way to help us promote promote it yeah i saw that he had the credit for doing the promotion yeah we gave but he a, put the te- did he put the 10 inch out that you guys released he did so this record you know because the pandemic was on hold for almost two years and we were getting antsy and and dirty water you know wasn't being wasn't going to be able to get it out and you know uh soon enough for us so we arranged to have lou put four songs out on a 10 inch yeah um, i'm your man's on that 10 inch too right I don't no. think so. I think good enough's on it, right? Yes. I'm sorry. I make mistakes. Well, sometimes. we do too. We don't know what's <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't have it in front of us. I was gonna ask you how many records you have out, because I can't even It's a lot. It's what a do lot. you uh, do you know how many releases you have total? No. Like uh, twenty maybe or something? Uh, we have five or six albums and then we have a whole bunch of singles. So um, that's like, like yeah, two we, or three EPs, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it seems like more than that. It probably me. is. I don't know. I don't listen to my own records. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, talk, let's, so let's talk about the future here. What's going to happen now with Muck and the Myers? Well, what are your future plans? The first thing is we're going to make up two shows that we couldn't do because of the pandemic. We had to cancel. We we were booked to play in Seattle in April of 2020. Which is, if you recall, was kind of the epicenter yeah. of the. <laughs> we were literally at, re- at rehearsal, sitting like a week away from our flight, saying, "Should we go, or shouldn't we?" Like, you know, looking back, of course, you would say, "Absolutely not." But at the time, it was like, "Wow, well, it sounds like they can only allow." It was like I remember, honest to God, it was like Wednesday you could allow a hundred people in a, in a venue, and by Friday it was like twenty five, and it was like, "Well, fuck," I mean. No one's going to be there anyway. <laughs> they won't, they, you know what I mean? How, what, what kind of crowd are we going to play to? And then it just, it seemed kind of crazy. So you guys are going to go to Seattle yeah, now? Yeah, we're going to make up We're making shows. it up, uh, yeah, so we're in Seattle November 6th, November 5th, rather. Did Chris Porter by any chance have anything to do with you guys playing there? 
He didn't, but Chris is a good friend. Right, because um, I know he's Mr. And, Seattle. And, and, <laughs> and good friends don't ask good friends for favors, so <laughs> we constantly go around it. But this is actually our third time to Seattle, and uh, we, we, we always seem to do really well there. We really enjoy playing there. And, uh, the Sonics, be- Muck in the Myers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the greatest American <laughs> music cities, uh, I would argue. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And we're also playing a, a pretty cool show in Portland the next night. So, oh, um, yeah, two absolutely. great places. Yep. Yeah, so we're doing that, um, the makeup shows. And then... Um, you must be going to Europe soon because you guys are the European band. We are likely going to, to London in December. We just have to check a couple of things on Fingers the, crossed, the right? front. Yeah. Um, and then we're scheduled for 10 shows in Spain from March to April. And do you have a, lo- a show in the Boston area coming up? I'm not sure when this podcast airs, but we're playing at the Square Root in Roslindale on Friday the 22nd, 22nd I believe it is. Yes, And yeah. the show will be out before then. Awesome. That's great. It's awesome. a great place. You'll so love please it. head down to the Square Root yeah, in great Roslindale if you're in the Boston area. I would uh, encourage you to buy your ticket early because that place fills up. It does. True, true. And the tickets are $10, so ho, ho. That's a deal these days. It is a deal. And we're playing with uh, the New England Mafia, which is... Oh, Jeff Palmer <laughs> and Kurt Baker Kurt and Baker Brad and, Marino. Yeah. And who's the fourth Zach one? Zach is the drummer. Wow. But wow. It's... it's it's. Oh, that's going to sell out. Well, we played with them in Portland, Maine last weekend. And uh, it's really a super group in that, in a rock pile kind of way. We have like the Dave Evans and the Nick Lowe. And it's, it's just really cool. I could say that Jeff Palmer, Jeff Useless, as I like to refer to him, was on this show. He's one of my favorite people. He's just a great human being like you guys, you know. That's, that, that, that'll, that's a really good show right there. So if you're in the area, I highly recommend it. Um, any plans to re-record again, or is this? Are we going to work on this record for a while? That's our swan song. We're out of here. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> our next album. Is- <laughs> Greetings from Monkingham Palace. We're going country next album. Yeah. Duncan Duncan's pays nineteen an hour now. We're out. <laughs> We're out of yes. this game. No, we have. We actually are working on on. The, we always have to have the next record in the can, as they say. So are you gonna yeah. let Pete write more songs and contribute yeah, to the next it. record? We gotta, we, We're working on one right now. If it's- yeah, we got. I love that you guys are all together, and uh, thank you. Thanks a lot for yeah. coming down to the show today. Jesse Best, you hardly said anything at all, Jesse. Well, thank you for having us. <laughs> <laughs> She's our closer. <laughs> they call her the quiet Meyer. <laughs> all right, guys, thanks a lot. Thank, thank you, you, Steve. Thank you. Thanks. Please support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico or on the Anchor site at anchor.fm forward slash blowing smoke TR.
All righty. That was I'm Your Man, Muckin' the Myers, the old Ape Hangers song that we were talking about during the interview. That was definitely one of the most fun interviews I've ever had. I, I told the, the, the band when we were walking out that we Ape Hanger hijacked the show, which we kind of did. We spent a lot of time talking about the Ape Hangers, which, you know, Pete was the, the primary songwriter and the leader of the band, so it was kind of hard to ignore that. I didn't know that Pete, a.k.a. Pedro Muck, was actually an original Muck and the Myers uh, member, so I learned something there, too. And uh, that was a lot of fun, man. Their album that we were talking about a lot, Greetings from Muckingham Palace, produced by the great Jim Diamond. I highly recommend it. It's 14 tracks of beautiful garage rock and um, really good. They recorded that one right down the road at Q Division here in Somerville, Massachusetts. You might remember that Ed V, uh, the manager of Q Division, was on our show not too long ago. So, um, Muck in the Myers, there you have it. Thank you to everyone that supports this show on patreon.com forward slash twisted Rico and also at anchor.fm forward slash blowing smoke TR. Uh, you can write me anytime with questions, comments, etc. at twistedrico at gmail.com. You can see me or reach me at, at blowing smoke with TR on Instagram and at blowing smoke BS on Twitter. We also have a Facebook and a YouTube page. Thank you to Mike Nash here at Voice Motel in Somerville, Massachusetts for engineering the show. Till the next time we say goodbye, this is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Keep the Rock and Roll Alive. is recorded at Voice Motel, voicemotel.com, your complete podcast recording experience, located in Union Square, Somerville, Massachusetts.